Hello and welcome back. We're still talking to Mark and Spencer about his beautiful book titled The Ocean of Self. We will now listen to part two of the interview. Enjoy. We can measure uh, the benefits of meditation. You know, that is a measurable, observable thing. So uh, it is inarguable that, that we are going to get uh, physiological benefits out of it. They're measurable. And we get brainwave measurable brainwave changes, which, uh, you know, neuroscientists can say, well, this seems to correlate with uh, a better intelligence, you know, uh, more efficiency of, of um, brain activity and so forth. Um, with, with my, uh, very briefly, with my talking, the big premise I make in the book is that this ocean of consciousness is a very fundamental field of physics. But um, what we might call the string field, the field of the super strings or the unified field from which all the other uh, parts of nature arise, um, that is just theory, but it's, um, it, it is serious theory examined by physicists' um, string theory over the last you know, three or four decades. Mm. Um, and so when I talk about that, I'm not providing all the answers. I'm just providing a framework of thinking, you know, that can help us instead of dismissing it as being hogwash or, uh, you know, or, or just superstition, we can say, well, you know, there is a, a paradigm, a, a structure of thinking where we can accommodate some of these ideas we're talking about. What your book does is it take, it brings people um, enough proof and scientific mm -hmm. evidence that the benefits can be measured so that's mm -hmm. why i think there's such a treasure like um and i think i mentioned it in our introductory chat um for men especially that are adventurous and um not necessarily just linked to the ocean but also linked to the ocean this book mm -hmm. is a great insight into the benefits of developing a spiritual side or becoming curious of a spiritual side through my book i'm inviting that kind of uh expanded exploration or aspect to exploration Definitely. Um, but you're right uh, earlier on because uh, i've been trying to get this sort of uh knowledge into a book for decades you know mm -hmm. uh, i think i was probably in my early 30s when, when, you know, the, the goal came, I had to write a book. And uh, I, I tried in earlier times, I just couldn't, wasn't able to do it. You know, it's, it's very hard um, putting words to something that's a bit ethereal, you know, it's, it's conceptual, it's not something you can see or <laughs> touch. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so it was difficult, but I knew there was something there I always wanted to write about. But regarding men, um, in the early days, I, I had tried to talk about some of these concepts of consciousness and spirituality and death and so forth to audiences, to diving audiences or to audiences of the Australian Geographic Society. And you know what? Uh -huh. I, 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 it was a mistake because I <laughs> lost it. <laughs> and... Um, so I realised that uh, I really need to uh, try to perfect the way I delivered the knowledge and uh, a book had to come eventually. That was probably the best way to do it. Um, these days, if I give a talk 
to a, a, an audience like a rotary club i will include these esoteric subjects but just the, in the last five or ten minutes of my talk you yeah. know yeah, I yeah, touch yeah. On it and that teases them and they like that you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. because they don't have to absorb too much all at once now um women tend to it's been my observation that women tend to be more open to mm -hmm. these concepts of expanded consciousness and spirituality than men i've been openly criticized by my male diving friends um <laughs> and yet and yet at the end of a, a talk in those early years uh, it, it would be women that would typically come up to me and say i like what you're talking about are you ever going to do a book on that? <laughs> so yeah. yes, I will one day. And here uh, it is. Here yeah. It so is. Why, why is this difference? Why are men so obstinate? Um, and I'm I'm having a go at my own gender. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Men perhaps are typically, and I hate I hate generalising because we're all a mixture, aren't we? Of everything. <clears throat> yes. But maybe men are more analytical. Women are more synthesizing. Women tend to uh, put try to put things together more, whereas men try to break things up and, and pull apart and analyze. Maybe men uh, are rationalizing at all times, trying to rationalize through the intellect, whereas women rely more on feeling and and uh, intuition. Uh, as a as a, a generalization, obviously we all yeah. need a bit of both. Yeah, uh, and, and we have both. Am I, okay? I, I know in this day and age, we don't like to talk about gender difference, but I think there are some subtle tendencies that men go in one way and that, that women have strengths in other ways. And that's why, you know, hopefully there's the, there's the, there's the both genders there to keep us from getting into too much trouble in life. No, no, you're not. And when I was talking about my parents, so it was my dad who was not so much for it and my mom was so i yeah. that's why for me the male perspective is quite important because as a child you know you don't think much about it but as you become an adult and now i have a son i think about these things more um and i think in patriarchal societies uh not all societies are patriarchal um it just is in the upbringing it's it's the it's the subtle uh layers of sort of beliefs that are laid upon a child's consciousness if they're a boy or a girl you know yeah. all of certain rules and regulations i think these days people are questioning that but ultimately wherever you land you must i think have a curiosity be an explorer like you um, to find out what lies behind all of that because i think the world is so racially charged right now the whole um the whole thing about men women color sex creed all of that's become another ego barrier yes yeah. become another, it's become another ego trap you know, I always talk about ego traps. For me, this is one of the biggest cultural ego traps we're going through at the moment. And if you don't have that curiosity about the self, the inner self, mm. you're going to get caught up in that. And that, and the reason that's not good is it's not, it's not, it's not 
satisfying it's not peaceful and it just it's draining it's draining yeah. energy sucking as long as we stay attached to the ego we'll always see each other as separate mm-hmm. um you know and what happens to you has no effect on me or shouldn't um you know that's complete that's the separation paradigm that we ad- adopt in typical life uh, and and that's why we can treat others so badly, you know, because we we don't empathise, we don't see ourselves in them. Um, and that's, that, as you say, is the ego trap. Um, but the more we can experience the commonality between different uh, people and different an- and between us and animals and us and things, as long as we can see that that connection, uh, you know, what we share and what we have in common. I think then uh, that builds in naturally a desire not to hurt someone else and a desire to be attracted to someone else because likes attract, you know, and I, I think, I think um, that's what the world needs at the moment because we're relying, to, putting too much emphasis on difference. Yeah, and, I, think, uh, I think you're right. I think, uh, yes, absolutely. I completely agree with everything you're saying, but there's one thing where... I feel the world today is also comprised of people that are finally speaking up, mm. finally having the courage to to right the wrongs of the past or the right to right the wrongs of their own lives. Yes. And I think this is a very fine line <laughs> between being courageous for good change and getting attached to the fight do you know what i mean it's like a fine line because if you get attached to the fight that's not good for you in the long run but having the courage to speak up for what's wrong is good for you in the long run so you need to find that balance between those two that's right um only only uh this morning i gave a talk to my rotary club and i was showing pictures of um we did some work off Gallipoli, uh, you know, in, in Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the Great War was fought in between 1914 and 1918. And I was showing examples of uh, soldiers helping each, you know, from the enemy's soldiers helping each other. There was a one photo of a, a Turkish soldier picking up an injured New Zealand so- soldier and mm-hmm. taking him back to the, the Allies' trench and then walking back safely to his own trench. That was a brave thing to do, but also, you know, a wonderful, compassionate thing to do. There was another picture of an Australian soldier giving water to a wounded Turk, um, you know, that was lying on the ground. And so, you know, soldiers are thrown into these battles through no uh, fault of their own. And I think what we see is incredible examples of humanity, but it goes both ways, doesn't it? We see atrocities, but we see the best and the worst of human behaviour during these horrible times of war. Yes, and it's hard to to really discuss, um, you know, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, but I do think what you pointed out about humanity existing and compassion being so compelling that you forget 
all the orders that you've been given and you just go with your humanity, you go with your basic compassion that you feel for your fellow human. And that always takes over. It, it um, does take over. It's, it can be very powerful. If you let it, it'll be a very powerful motivator. Yeah. And then, and then coming back to men, I think it is men that are sent to war. I know increasingly women are being deployed as well, but mm. historically, and I suppose the species sort of carries those blocks as well. Um, sorry, I just, I didn't want mean to cut us off, but I do need to go on with these questions because I have so many. <laughs> um, I, I want to go back to explorers, okay, and uh, paranormal activity that you speak about in the book, especially when you speak of Tanya Stita. Um, what is what in particular is going on uh, down there? Okay, well, um, so I wrote a one of the chapters in the book was um, putting emphasis on explorers, mm -hmm. uh, and not just my own explorations, but other explorers as well, and uh, accounts of uh, not just explorers, but you know, I, I think I recounted some experiences of soldiers and and just people in life and and, and illustrating examples of uh, telepathy, I think it was, uh, premonition, uh, you know, like a clairvoyance, uh, predicting things that are happening in the future. Uh, and I think the other theme in that chapter was um, connection, you know, unity, uh, being connected to the cosmos and so forth. And I think I was recounting some uh, stories of astronauts, you know, talking about that. But anyway, getting back to Tanya Streeter, uh, I spoke to her on the phone and I've, she's since spoken to our Rotary Club as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> she lives in America these days. She, she was British, oh, okay. born, British, British born, but um, I think she lived in the Cayman Islands for a long time right. there in the Caribbean. And I think now she lives in Texas. So very oh. slowly she's probably developing a southern draw. Now... Uh, she, she's in her 40s now. She's no longer doing that uh, deep breath hold diving, but she still holds the, the women's record for the deepest uh, dive on a single breath of air. Oh, yeah, uh, I did read it. She holds wow. that record. Isn't it amazing? Mm. Um, and I, I can't remember how deep it was. It was like a, what was it, a 160 metres or something? Or Yeah, I, anyway, it's in the book. But... Um, she she recounted in another book I read that uh, she f felt when she was underwater that um, she could do anything that nothing was impossible, and uh, I use that as a as a uh, an actual experience to um, illustrate the all possibilities experience that you have in meditation that 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 realm of consciousness is a realm of all possibility. And uh, and that kind of her, her comments about I feel like I could do anything, you know, nothing's impossible. It kind of yeah. illustrates that um, that quality of experience in meditation. Um, now, Tanya, when I spoke to her on the phone, she said, "Oh, look, really, she's a fairly pragmatic sort of person, not, not too prone to uh, uh, philosophizing about anything." <laughs> Um, but she she was curious about my book, and she now has a copy. Um, but she is a fairly practical person. She's not. Um, but that that was a comment she made 
um, and other comments, most divers have uh, will, will relate some experience they have, which they which you would call transcendental. Mm. And I I I have uh, I told you I have a friend who does free diving, and he always he's not a very spiritual person. No. And he would always echo that description. He would always say, when I'm down there, it's like I'm not thinking. Yeah. It's like, it's like being suspended. My whole body is suspended. Freedom and, and, um, all those things, yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, this is it. Um, divers, free divers, uh, ocean divers, they'll, they'll all make comments that, uh, further support, you know, the descriptions I've given of the diving experience, uh, timelessness, unboundedness, you know, no boundaries, uh, freedom, great sense of wonder, alertness, you know, all those things, connection, a sense of unity, belonging. Uh, they'll all maybe not mention all those things, but you hear them. In different, that's 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 what I've done in this book. Try to try to put things to yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so you'll hear them say that, but they're not necessarily spiritual people. I don't call themselves spiritual, mm -hmm. but really, what what they're talking about is an aspect of experience which we can say is a quality of, of expanded consciousness. Um, but they don't necessarily see it that way. They just see it as part of the gamut. Of, of consciousness, which is sort of enhanced by doing that diving, you know, it's a, um, but really they're talking about uh, qualities of consciousness, which are in common with meditation and which we can do from the comfort of our home night mm. and night and morning every day, rather than, um, you know, we couldn't go deep diving every day <laughs> yeah i mean putting on that suit and the water i mean i'm not one for cold water at all so but no. I, you know I, I think what a thought that came to me when you were just speaking is that yes people who free dive or dive or whatever they're not necessarily spiritual and they but they do use those words that define a spiritual experience but that's where you are unique and that your life path has been uh, one that has been has had two parallels that have been so close in feeling in terms of giving you that freedom, that feeling of freedom, that feeling of all possibilities, that feeling of oneness, and that's what's unique about you. Um, and and it, it it's very well um, documented in the book. The other thing that I found, um, you know, really well documented in your book was the two chapters that you dedicate to the Vedas. And I was um, curious to find out what brought about your uh, connection with the Vedas, because they're ancient texts and not everybody forms a relationship with them. Um, and the other thing is, um, you make uh, very interesting comparisons between what physicists are saying and the Vedas. Could you uh, talk to us about this? You know, firstly, what brought about your connection with it? Well, again, it was my desire as a, a kind of scientist at heart to understand what was going on with my experiences in the ocean and, and in meditation. 
And um, I, I guess I'm, I'm one of these people that likes to know why, you know, and how, what, what's at the, what's underlying all these experiences? What, what does it mean? Vedic science, which I mainly learned through um, uh, books like the Bhagavad Gita and uh, uh, books that, that uh, have come out of the Maharishi organization, the Maharishi International University, mm -hmm. um, and, and video lectures and what have you. I've gradually put this knowledge together. Now, they, the physicists that, that uh, ally, themselves, uh, ally themselves with this Vedic knowledge, describe this ocean of consciousness, this field that is common to us all, <coughs> as a fundamental field of physics. In other words, it's not just the brain causing consciousness. We're talking about consciousness in its essence as being a very fundamental level of all of nature. Mm -hmm. And indeed, they say, uh, they hypothesize that uh, consciousness in its essence is the superstring field described by phys physicists mm -hmm. studying modern-day superstring theory. Mm -hmm. Superstring theory is the closest thing we have now to the theory of everything and could also be called the unified field, which um, Einstein hypothesized uh, you know, many years ago, about 100 years ago. So... If there is this, now this unified field or superstring field goes beyond time and space. It is mm -hmm. from this field that space and time emanate. And uh, indeed in meditation, we've talked about the experience of going beyond notion of time, you know, into a field of timelessness where we don't, mm -hmm. we lose all notion of time. Uh, and we do that because we all our worries and concerns just disappear. We're in the moment when we dive, and when we meditate, it's a similar thing. The same with space. We lose all notion of uh, geographic location. We're just in a, in a, a realm which uh, is beyond the ego. Um, it's beyond any notion of time and space, and that's why we can, I believe, and, and other people, uh, scholars believe, we can equate our essential consciousness with that most fundamental level of nature's working. Mm -hmm. That has huge implications because if we can work at that level of our consciousness, it means that we're working at the level of the unified field at the basis of all the laws of nature, mm. we can actually work those laws of nature. And that's why levitation can be seem to be plausible mm. to actually defy gravity mm. and when you understand the physics behind it you're not really defying gravity you're just bending space space space-time fabric in a way which allows you to repel from something instead of being attracted to it so when you have the knowledge you can find a basic framework that you can fit in some of these other concepts including miracles. Absolutely. And I love the way you described um, the connection between physics and Vedic science. I think it was so clear 
that anyone who's listening to it will benefit from it. But I think, like you said, there are implications of this knowledge, of having this knowledge, of having this, these experiences. And the implications are that, you know, the forces that run this society, this world of ours, namely politics, namely nuclear weapons or um, global warming, they aren't, they don't have to be the only thing that influences you every day. You know? and, and that's a big implication for me because I think we don't realize to what extent geopol geopolitical factors influence our own very individual lives, the mm. way we live, how what we eat, how we dress, what we spend our time on, which is the most important thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the implications of um, what you shared with us that are so important for every human being on the planet, you know, because mm -hmm. we get indoctrinated by the, by the news channels, by social media. And unless we strengthen our discretion, we're just going to get swept away. We are. And, you know, even getting away from meditation, maybe that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, just to be there with nature, um, you know, how enriching that is for, for all of us. Um, it doesn't have to be under the ocean. It could be going out into the forest or climbing a mountain or, um, you know, even interacting with our animals, our pets. Um, you know, I, I think the more we en engage with nature, uh, it affects us in ways which... Um, I think will will make us all better people. Um, you know, I, I I do feel concerned for the young people of today. I it just annoys me so much that there's so much uh, reluctance to act on climate change. Yeah, uh, here in my country, you know, it's it's embarrassing, uh, and I'm not the only one who's feeling embarrassed. Um, you know, uh, you know the geopolitical tensions that are arising at the moment. They just don't have to be there. I keep thinking, you know, how powerful China is, but how wonderful it would be if China and America and Great Britain and France and all the, you know, Germany, all the big countries in the world were friends with each other, how much better things would be. Just imagine what we could achieve. Mm. Um, and yet, and yet we're, you know, we've got this tension going on. Um, we've got to move beyond it and we've got to become more evolved human beings yes i couldn't agree more i think um all the powerful nations have sort of forgotten that with great power comes great responsibility and that if they don't protect the earth and act now there will be nowhere to be a powerful country and um, you know going back to what i was talking about um, human beings don't need to live with this fear with this anxiety that you know, we're going to lose the planet or there might be a nuclear bomb that goes off. I mean, the irresponsibility of government shouldn't be what dictates our life choices every day. And if we don't want that to happen, then we have to learn and become curious about our true self, our spiritual selves, because it is very rewarding, as we have been discussing. And in fact... I think I know one of the the aims of this show of my effort is to 
um, leave people feeling a little more love for life. Mm. Because I think we don't know what it is to be in love with our lives. But when we do fall in love with our lives, it becomes so much more joyful. And the Buddha said mm. that we, human beings have been born to enjoy themselves at ease. Yeah. And I don't think we're getting... I don't think we're getting what we bargain for. <laughs> no, well, I think we're we're trying to pick the, uh, you know, the, instead of going for the, the the castle, you know, we're going for all the the outlying lands. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I look the, the the quintessential qualities of life. I believe are some of those things I've already talked about. Um, the things we experience in meditation the same qualities of consciousness we experience on the top of a mountain where all of a sudden we feel, you know, expanded and, and uh, we feel more alive than ever. And what are we experiencing? That sense of unboundedness, that sense of ultimate freedom, that sense of endless wonder, that sense of, uh, you know, timelessness, connection with everything, um, you know, they, they to me, are the qualities of life, and and that's when we feel most alive. When we feel those things, and that's the, getting back to young Reese. That that's one of the reasons why I think he was, uh, you know, he was embracing those qualities of life he saw in the manta ray in the ocean, representative of all those things: freedom and wonder and friendliness and connection, and and um, they were the qualities of life the quintessential qualities of life that he was embracing, not in a panicky way, not, a, not in, a, uh, in a desperate way, but in a, a, a warm em embracing way, a warm welcoming way. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that, that's, that's what I would like to think, and I believe Reese was probably, uh, you know, fixating on manta rays because he was actually embracing life at the time of his death there's a big irony there isn't there yeah 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 absolutely but the way you the way you die is so important you know it's so important for how your soul will continue to evolve and you speak about this in the book when you ultimately use that metaphor of our lives being that wave but we have to go back into the ocean right and then yeah. ocean the, the one ocean that we're all part of that's right. Yes. Yeah, so metaphorically, the book is a, a big metaphorical description using the watery ocean as a, a, a symbol, if you like. Uh, but we are talking about that ocean of self, um, the, the waves of activity on the top, which we can transcend. The other metaphor, of course, is that common wave of self or oceanless underneath the waves of our individual consciousness, um, influenced by our separate nervous systems, our separate experiences, our memories and so forth that make us all different. But if we can become familiar with that ocean underneath, we'll experience those uh, qualities which we describe as the essence of life, the quintessential essence of life. And, and that's why we'll, we will embrace life more than ever even with all the worries on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why at the time of death, uh, and this, again, is a hard thing for a lot of people to accept, I know, but the time of death, that's when we transcend those sense 
affected areas of our consciousness and will experience more life than ever because that's the qualities of that deeper ocean of consciousness. Oh, wow. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful description. Now, ask every guest um, if the show, you know, connects with them in any way. Do you agree with Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul? What do you think of the title? What do you... Oh, uh, Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul? Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking. <laughs> I love that um, because I think become familiar with your ego, with your small self, your idiosyncrasies, your... Yeah. your you know, the, 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 um, our individuality, uh, but maybe don't get too attached to it. We should get attached with our soul, our deeper self, um, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, we, we should marry that. We should uh, commit to that, and um, we should trust that as well as we would trust a, a married partner. Um, yeah. So I like that uh, analogy very much, marry your soul. Uh, when you marry someone, uh, you want to um, become that become, become a, a sort of a, a, an extra, like a unified thing with that person, don't you? You know, it's, it's not, you're not separate. There's, there's a, a bigger entity out of the combination of the two. Um, and uh, I think marrying a soul is, is very good. Date your ego. Uh, the ego, yes, it's kind of more transient, isn't it? So, yes. you know. <laughs> you know, sort of, it's just a fun take on the whole, you know, um, reveal the um, the real self. Yeah, cast, the, off, cast off the transient, reveal the real self. It's a it's a fun take on that because I feel ultimately all spirituality and meditation is leading us to that. You're casting off the transients. Yeah. And revealing, revealing the true. That's and I, think, yeah. I think it's probably important for us to uh, say too, is that um, when we go this way, when we go towards a spiritual uh, pursuit or an expansion of consciousness or uh, regular practice of meditation, we're not opting out of life. You know, we're not, uh, uh, we're not being something less efficient in what we can achieve in life. Um, it's a bit, the, the analogy is drawing the string of the bow back a bit further so the arrow will go further. Yeah. You know, we're, we're just taking a little bit of time to enrich that uh, uh, area, that aspect of our nervous system, that aspect of our consciousness, so that we can actually achieve more in life. So I like to think of it as not um, this or that, you know, not, not so you've got to make a choice whether you want to be a materialist or a householder or a recluse. Um, I'm, I'm sort of saying you can do with the right balance, you can achieve more in the, in the material world in which we live. You can be more efficient, more intelligent, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm that intelligent, but you know that I think you can you can achieve more by doing less, so to speak. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, it's it's been such a wonderful experience reading your book. 
getting to talk to you, have you share your wisdom. The sky is blue, which never happens in London. <laughs> A lot of cloud in the sky. It's here too. <laughs> and that's fantastic. Um, so I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's just been such a wonderful experience. So I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that episode. I know I thoroughly enjoyed meeting Mark and talking to him and learning from him about the parallels between the ocean of life and the ocean of earth. I took away so much from that interview, but most of all, I took away the fact that happiness is very much within our reach. I took away that we don't have to limit our observations of the world to the newspaper, to the radio, to the TV, to the pandemic. We can actually find other ways of engaging with our lives that are more fulfilling, more helpful, and ultimately, make us more happy, which is the aim of this show. So this is your host, Serafina, leaving you with a little more love for life.